we're starting a new series today that we're calling Come and See. Come and See. And so what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at the book of John. The book of John is in the New Testament. It's the second half of the Bible. And the book of John is one of the four books that talks about Jesus's life. And John in particular was not only just one of Jesus's followers, not just one of his friends, not just one of his uh, disciples, but John was actually uh, described as the one whom Jesus loves. It's almost as if John was Jesus's best friend. And so he writes all of this rich stuff that we're going to take a look at. And the reason that we're taking a look at the book of John, the reason that we're taking a look at this series of Come and See, is because we need you to know here at Calvary Church, we desire to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel of Jesus. The main thing is the good news of Jesus. We want to keep Jesus at the focus right in the center. But we have to be honest that sometimes in today's world, it can be easy to get distracted. Sometimes we can be distracted by uh, different issues, different circumstances, uh, even politics, all sorts of stuff that cause us to look at different things instead of keeping our eyes focused on what we need to focus on. But the truth of the matter is, is that's not unique to today. Even during the time of Jesus, if that was true, there was, there was a Roman... Uh, um, captivity, Roman uh, uh, empire for the Jewish people. There was people, all sorts of stuff happening in their cultures as well. And Jesus steps into the scene and he says to those followers, come and see. He invites them to come and see who he is. And he invites us to come and see. He invites us to uh, come and believe, to come and follow, to come and change, to come and process, to come and wonder. And we can come and see who Jesus is through the very description that he himself provides in the Bible. And as we take a look at his description of himself, what we will learn is a little bit about who Jesus is. And as we learn a little bit about who Jesus is, we'll learn a little bit about who we are as well. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of John. Again, it's towards the second half of the Bible. It's in the second half. Book of John, we're going to start with chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to read what's called a prologue. If you don't know what a prologue is, sometimes it's found at the beginning of a book. It kind of sets up the stories. It's explaining what's about to happen, what you're about to experience. My best definition of prologue, my best illustration for a prologue is Star Wars. If you've seen Star Wars, you're going to get it. If you haven't seen Star Wars, you're probably internally judging me and mocking me. But every Star Wars movie starts the same, right? The text comes across the screen. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. If you weren't judging me before, you're really judging me now. Long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then all of a sudden, the theater erupts and the John Williams Orchestra goes and there's brass music going all over the place. All sorts of stuff is happening. And then what happens? The text starts to scroll. It's a beautiful thing. The text starts to scroll up from the bottom to the top. And that text, as you read it, begins to tell you the story that you're about to experience. It begins to tell you what's going to happen. That's a prologue. And John in John chapter 1 gives us not just a prologue, but he gives us a deep summary, a revelation, if you will, of the ministry of Jesus Christ, a revelation of Jesus' life. So let's take a look at that prologue. We're going to look at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. This is one of the most theologically rich passages in the Bible. I'm going to tell you up front, there is no way I'm going to be able to cover everything today. So if there was something that you were hoping I talked about and I don't talk about today, I'm just as disappointed as you are. Because there's so much in this passage. We could literally spend months just unpacking what we just read. And so before we kind of jump into this, I, I want to kind of just acknowledge the richness, and I want to talk about how we're going to look at uh, three settings uh, that we want to look at in this passage. But before we do that, I want to just acknowledge of the title that John uses. John uses the title of The Word. The Word. He's setting up the whole story of Jesus, and he uses the title The Word. Now, John never uses that title outside of this chapter. He never uses it again in the gospel. And what I want to acknowledge is that John is doing something very subtle here and something really powerful. The word that he is using for this title is logos. And what John is doing, he's stepping into the Greco-Roman culture and taking a concept where they understood of this concept of logos being an internal kind of reason, an internal reason here that they saw as eternal. And then he's also taking this concept, which a Jewish culture would have understand, as an external thing where the word was action, which was alive. The whole point that I'm saying is John is bridging two cultures in order to proclaim the truth of Jesus. And the only reason I want to pause and do that is our mission is to continue what Jesus started. And when you live life on mission, there's going to be times where you will have to bridge cultures and be able to identify what is in that culture to express the truth of Jesus. And so I find that fascinating about what he's doing in there. But let's dive into the themes of the passage. Let's dive into what's going on there. The first theme that I want to take a look at is this. I want to take a look at the theme of creation. The theme of creation. Let's read the first verse again, okay? We're going to read the first verse again. Ready? 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's not the first verse, right? That's a different verse. That actually is the first verse of the Bible. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's the first book of the Bible. If you have never read Genesis, you wouldn't have seen this, but John is bridging the gap from the beginning, Genesis 1, to now John 1. And what John is doing is he's bringing the discussion of Jesus into the cosmic setting. He brings it into a cosmic context. In the beginning was the Word, and all of creation was made by God through the Word. Did you see that? John is talking about creation. He's bringing that, and he's saying, in the beginning was the Word, and all creation is being made through the Word. And we see that in other passages as well. Real quick, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. This concept of of the word being the agent through which creation occurs is not unique to John's uh, chapter one, the prologue in John chapter one. It's something that occurs in the Bible. The word is this agent of creation and the word existed from a time before the beginning. And this can only be true if the word was with God at the beginning and if the word was God. So if the if the, this can only be true if the word was with God at the beginning or if the word was God. And the utter shocking truth that John reveals is that both of these statements are true. Both of these statements are true, and John lays down the foundations of one of the absolutes of our faith. At times you may hear us at Calvary Church talk about absolutes, convictions, and preferences. Absolutes are the foundational principles of our belief that we will not compromise. We will, not, we will die for these things. Convictions are things that are important, but we may disagree at times. And preferences, we will sacrifice them all the time for the sake of the absolute. We get one of the foundational principles of one of these absolutes of the gospel here. The word, the son, who is ultimately expressed to humanity in the form of the human man Jesus, never did not exist. Do you get that? There was never a time where the word did not exist. And begin to receive the foundation of the doctrine of the Trinity in here. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we need to understand the doctrine of Trinity is that there may be times where we may be familiar with the concept. There may be times where we can un, uh, embrace that concept if you've grown up in the church or if you've grown up believing the Bible. But to fully understand the Trinity, there's no way we can fully understand it in our finite mind. There's ways that we can try to explain it. You can take an egg and you can say, if you want to think of the Trinity, you can take an egg. The egg has three parts, a shell, a yolk, and an egg white. But it's all, that. it's all the egg. There may be three parts, but it's an egg white. That's kind of a good picture, but it's also incomplete. The truth of the matter is, is that we may not fully understand it, but that does not mean that it's not true. One of our foundational values, one of our absolutes, is that God exists as a trinity. There is one God, and he exists in three persons. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we begin to get the foundation of some of that doctrine of the trinity in this passage. The word was with God, and he was God. And this verse, this very first verse of the prologue, is meant to be the lens through which we view God, John's gospel. 
Jesus is a human revelation of the word, the son who existed in eternity with God and was also God. And so this is the first theme. This is the first set of absolutes that we need to unpack. We need to unpack as we enter into the setting of creation. That Jesus was with God, or that the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was the agent through which all creation was made. Okay? That's our first setting. The second setting we're going to look at today is the setting of incarnation. Incarnation. So we got creation, and now we're going to look at incarnation. Look at verse 14 of John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I think at times we need to be reminded of just how scandalous and shocking some of the truth of the Bible is. Just how scandalous and shocking some of the truth of Jesus is. Jesus being fully God and with God, the word, <coughs> when the word was with God and the word was, was God, that is scandalous in its own nature. That is shocking. What's even more shocking is the concept of the word became flesh. The word became flesh. And this is also an absolute truth, an absolute doctrine. The doctrine of incarnation is an absolute truth. You see, God throughout the Old Testament revealed himself in different ways. He revealed himself through his creation. He revealed himself in his revelations. He revealed himself through his law. And now God reveals himself through his ultimate revelation. God becomes flesh in the form of Jesus. And it's interesting to note that it doesn't say that God took on flesh. It doesn't say that God adopted a fleshly body. It doesn't say that God uh, took on the appearance of flesh. It says that God, that the word becomes fully human, that the word became flesh. God is revealing himself through the fully human Jesus. And this Word, this son, was with God eternally, existing in a relationship, a deep relationship with him, and now he comes to dwell among us. He is fully God and fully man. And the use of the phrase in verse 14, made his dwelling, is amazing. Because what we need to understand is that John is constantly took taking looks back at the Old Testament. He's constantly taking looks back at the Old Testament. We saw that when he did in the beginning and he took us back to the book of Genesis. When he talks about made his dwelling, when he begins to talk about Moses here, he's taking us to the second book of the Bible. He's taking us to the book of Exodus. And what happens in this word, the word that is used for made his dwelling, that word for dwelling actually is a word that means literally to live in a tent. What we get is pictures from the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God rescues his people, the people of Israel, and he takes them out of Egypt where they were slaves, and he begins to take them towards this land that he promises. And as they go, they have to wander in the desert for 40 years. And what God does is he dwells in their presence in what's called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was just a big tent. It was just a big tent. And what happened was everyone else lived in tents, literally circling and surrounding this bigger tent where God's presence was, where God's glory was. But there was limited access to God. Only certain people, in fact, only one person could get to the farthest point to God. 
There was all of these barriers along the way because of God's holiness. When John uses this, this word for dwelling, when John talks about the word becoming flesh and dwells amongst us, what he's saying is that Jesus is now the access to God. Jesus becomes the new tabernacle. Jesus is the access to God because God has come to live with us. And the result of this accent, the, the result of this access is a covenantal love of grace and truth. And this is a foundational truth that access to God can only come through Jesus. Can only come through Jesus. So again, John tells us some foundational and absolute theological truths in his prologue. In chapter 1, he begins in the setting of creation and reveals that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word was the agent through which all was created. He goes on and talks about the setting of incarnation. He says that the Word became flesh, that the Word was not just fully God, but the Word was also fully man. The Word came to dwell amongst us, God with us. And our access to God is through Jesus. Why? Why did that have to happen? Why did that have to happen? Why was that the way that it had to occur? Well, we stepped into the theme of creation. We stepped into the theme of incarnation. Now we're going to step into the theme of new creation. New creation. In the book of Genesis, where John alludes to, God speaks his word into the darkness. God speaks his word into the darkness. The word is a very light needed for that darkness. And as he speaks into the darkness, out of the chaos comes God's creation. And it was good. But we also read in that account that ultimately humanity rejects God and ushers the darkness back in. And so there's a need for a new creation. And so in John 1, he alludes to Genesis 1 where God speaks the word into the darkness. And now in John 1, God sends the word into the darkness. Where he spoke it into the darkness in Genesis 1, now he sends the word into the darkness in the form of Jesus. And not only does the word bring the light into the darkness that is needed, he himself is the light that is needed. God is beginning a new creation, just like the creation that he made was through the agent of the word. Now, once again, his new creation, the agent that he uses is the word in the form of the human man, Jesus. Jesus becomes the agent for this new creation of John 1. And again, we are reminded of that absolute truth that this new creation can only occur through Jesus. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone that this can happen. There is no other way. And so as we look at those three themes, as we look at the themes of creation and we look at the themes of understanding that the word was with God and the word was God, and we understand that there is an eternal relationship that the Word had with the Father and the Son had with the Father and that the Word becomes the agent through which God creates everything, creates the universe. We understand these things. 
And then we step into the setting of incarnation where we understand that the word now becomes flesh. God, fully God, fully man in the form of Jesus. Jesus is fully God, fully man. Jesus is the son who dwells among us. He is our access to God. And he comes into the darkness to create a new creation. Now this one, a new creation that is spiritual, bringing spiritual life to what was spiritually dead. And as we understand that, as we understand the concept of new creation, as we look at that, as we look at creation, as we look at incarnation, as we look at new creation, we're left with two responses that we can have. When we look at the absolute truth of Jesus, when we look at the doctrine of the Christ, when we look at what John is saying, we're left with two responses that we can have. And there's only two responses. There's not three There's not four, there's only two. Only two responses. There's either the response of rejection or the response of reception. Let's look at that first response of rejection. Let's look at the first response of rejection and to understand it, let's jump back into the Bible. Don't just just take what, what Charles or myself or Josh or any of us here just say. Make sure you're jumping into the Bible. Make sure you're reading of what it actually is saying. And so when we take a look at what the Bible says, we look at John 1 verse 11. He came to this to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own did not receive him. The first response that we read of is this response of rejection. The very people who had been waiting, the very people who had been watching, the very people who had been longing, the very people who had been hoping reject what they were longing for and what they were hoping for. The very people whose hearts were living each day longing for this, for this Messiah, longing for this Deliverer, longing for this Savior, they reject what they were longing for. But let's not get judgmental because the truth of the matter is, so did you, so did I, and so did all of humanity. And that's not me being judgmental. That's just me talking about what the Bible says. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin is when we move in the opposite direction of God, when we move away from God, when we try to take the place of God and move away from him. And when we sin, we outright reject God. And the Bible says that everyone has done that. You, me, all of humanity from day one. There is no one in history who has not entered into the story in the setting of rejection. And the question is, will we stay there? Will you stay there? Will I stay there? Will we stay in that setting of rejection? Because there is another response. There is another response. And the response is reception. We need to move from the setting of rejection and move to the setting of reception. And look at the awesome result of when we move into that setting of reception. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed 
In his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We are offered new life and we are offered a new status. We are offered a change in our relationship status with God. And what will be our response? What will be our response to that offer? What will be our response to that offer from God? I was thinking back to when I proposed to my wife, Jen. I took her to um, the Milleridge Inn which was this old revolutionary inn in Long Island, New York. It's really nice, really nice. I mean, I think it's nice. I don't know if she thinks it's nice, but I think it's nice. And next to it, there, there's this like, these little village of shops. And we go through this village of shops, and there's all these lights, and there's even like a wedding store that we walk through. And I'm nervous. I'm really nervous because I know I'm going about to propose to her. And the truth of the matter is, not only am I nervous, I'm hungry, and I know there's really good food where we're about to go in. So I think to myself, I better ask her now and get that all out of the way. Because I had something else planned in my mind, but I was like, no, I'm going to have prime rib. <laughs> I need to ask her now. So we come out of the wedding store, and I just pulled the ring out of my pocket. I didn't even get on one knee or anything. I was like, hey, do you want to get married? She knew that the question was coming. She just didn't think it was coming right then. And I'm sure she had a picture in her mind as well. So she laughs and she walks away and says, no. <laughs> that was encouraging. So we laugh and, 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 and we hug and, and she says, yes. But let me ask you a question. Here's what my point to the whole story is. When she laughs and she walks away and says, no. Are we engaged? <laughs> Did our relationship status change? I mean, she was expecting good news. She even was glad that the offer was made. There was a ring being held out to her. Are we engaged? No. What was necessary was that she had to accept that ring and say yes. There is a need to accept the gift of Jesus that is being offered in order for our relationship status to be changed. There is a need for reception, for relationship status to change. There are no other options. When it comes to Jesus, neutrality is not an option. You either receive him or you reject him. You're either in the setting of reception or you're in the setting of uh, rejection. If you do not receive Jesus, you reject him, just to be clear. There's a need for reception to happen. And it looks differently for different people. You know, some people will say, I remember exactly the day. I remember this church service that happened. Or I remember I had a conversation with someone and they could tell you the exact day and the time and they could tell you the weather and everything. And it's great. And if you're one of those people, that's fantastic. That's amazing. But some people, it doesn't happen like that. For some people, it becomes something that happens gradually over time. And all of a sudden, they realize that they were a follower of Jesus. Regardless of how the setting happened, it's not about the setting. Regardless of how the setting happened, there's something important that has to occur. And again, let's look at the Bible. We always have to look at the Bible for our answers. Is in verse 12 again. To those who believed. To those who believed. 
that has to be present in reception. That element has to be present in reception. And so the question is, do you believe? When we look at these foundational absolute truths of Jesus, when we look at the word was with God and the word was God, through him all was made, that the word became flesh, when we look through all these absolute truths that access to God can only come through Jesus, do you believe? Do you believe the truth of Jesus? And again, there's only two options. Rejection and reception. And God so wants you to choose reception. God so wants you to receive Jesus. And here's the truth. When we choose reception, our relationship status changes. Not only does our relationship status change, our purpose changes. I was thinking about a job offer letter. If you were to apply to a company, you were to apply to an organization, okay? You apply to Calvary Church, right? And we send you an offer letter. We want you to join our team. Here's the offer letter. And you never get back to us. You can't just show up on Monday and say, hey, I'm part of this organization. Or you can't be telling, because you never accepted the offer letter. But if you accept the offer letter, now your relationship status changes and you are now part of this team. You are now part of that. But also the expectations of you have changed as well. Expectations have changed. Your role has changed. What is expected of you has changed. If your relationship status changes, your expectations change as well. And what is the expectation of someone who has stepped into the setting of reception? Well, if you're in Souderton, you can look to the walls. There's four letters. If you're in Quakertown or online, those four letters are CWJS. That is our mission at Calvary Church. Continue what Jesus started. If you accept Jesus, you accept his mission. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he is the only way for new life to begin. These are absolute truths. And if we believe those truths, if we receive Jesus, our status changes. And we now have the right to be children of God. But with that right comes a responsibility to continue the mission of Jesus with him. Let's do that this week. Lord, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the truth of who you are. And we ask you that that truth will be so real in us this week that we will know the status change that has occurred through accepting you, that it will be so real in us. And with that status change, don't just make that real. Make the desire for the expectations that come with that, for the responsibilities that come with that right, to be something that overwhelms us. Let us go and continue your mission to everyone that we meet, whether it's in our family or our friends or our coworkers or the people that we see in the grocery store, whomever it is, let us be a living example of the gospel to everyone we come in contact with. We thank you and we love you. And if there's anyone in this room, if there's anyone in Quakertown, if there's anyone online who is still in that setting of rejection, I ask you that you would begin to tug at their heart, that you would begin to make yourself real, and you would allow them to step out of the setting of rejection and into the setting of reception. That when they are asked, do you believe, that they are responsibly, yes, yes, I believe. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.